0: Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is the Summer Series Personal Journal Edition. And this week, we're getting a little crazy. We're getting a little nuts. We're going to talk about something that's been a huge part of my life for as long, as literally as far back as I can remember. And um, that's music. You and I have
1: lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend?
0: Would you like to be my friend? I have this picture of me as a, I gotta say, as a baby. You know, I'm very tiny. I can't imagine I was saying words at that point. And I have a microphone straight up in my mouth. And it's a little play microphone, and this picture has been, you know, circulated in my family for years. Alongside another picture where I'm in Ninja Turtle pajamas and holding a guitar, which is probably from like a decade before I actually learned how to play guitar. And the picture of me as a baby with the microphone in my mouth, I decided, you know, there's all these TikTok trends and shit. And I was like, I'm going to recreate that. So I looked at the picture and I I saw that (laughs) it was a Michael Jackson microphone. And I was like, what? And I looked it up and I was able to find it and I purchased it and it's, it's in a cabinet in my basement. And eventually I will recreate that picture, but I don't know when I'll do that. Um, All that to say the, the reason I purchased this 1984 Michael Jackson microphone and the reason that that picture exists and has any significance as an, as my, as an adult you know, uh, almost four decades after that picture was taken is because music was always a piece of my family, a piece of my identity. It was, it was part of who I, who I am. And I say part of my family because, you know, that picture was significant because my mom also likes music. And so that picture, the picture with me and the guitar, like that stuff would make its way back out from the photo albums. Because music was important to her and it showed signs of like, oh, he, my son is doing musical things, whether that be singing or playing an instrument, whatever that looked like, always highly encouraged. We used to have little singing dance parties. We had this little white cassette tape with a red label and it had, I want to say it was for kids, but I don't know why it would be, but it had uh, living on a prayer on it. I think it had a Michael Jackson song on it. Um, maybe Paula Abdul. I definitely remember living on a prayer and my mom, my brother and me, we would dance in the living room to this cassette tape. And I, there's so many words in living on a prayer that I thought were different (laughs) when I finally got like older and, and found the lyrics. And then and, you know, as a your kid, you're just kind of influenced by what's around you, right? So I grew up with a single mom. So my I I knew Celine Dion. I knew Mary Chapin Carpenter. I knew Bonnie Raitt. Like, I knew that stuff. I, I knew Seeger as I got a little older. And um, my dad would occasionally, you know, I only saw my dad once, maybe twice a year. And he would occasionally point out a song that was playing on some classic rock station and ask me if I knew who it was or that question was probably aimed at my brother more than me because I was I was younger obviously and uh so there's some classic rock songs that I attribute to my dad but like my mom was my primary musical influence um for the first part of my life and so I got a lot of a lot of Sade and Tony Braxton and Whitney Houston like all these power ballad females from the eighties and early nineties. And, and then obviously you start trickling in, um, Disney music. And when Lion King came out, that's when Elton John showed up on my radar and my mom had his greatest hits. And I was like, Oh, this is that guy. Like the rocket man guy is singing. Can you feel the love tonight? Like this is fantastic. And I, I, really, I latched onto the love songs. And then you get to this age um, and anybody that has siblings, I think can relate to this. And I say that because I've interviewed so many people with siblings and if this question ever comes up, it's pretty much it always it always feels like it's the same story. And that is when you have an older sibling, you tend to, you know, you want to mimic them, you want to like what they like, like to a point and then you get to a certain age where you just kind of hate each other. But <laughs> it's my brother had uh, all these, CDs, which in itself was crazy, right? I don't remember any cassettes that my brother had. Oh, that's not true. He had Ghetto Boys. Um, and and they had that, what is that song? Onyx? I think that's it. But that uh, that I do remember. No, Slam. Slam! Back, okay. Um, and But I remember he had CDs. And I remember when he got his first CD player, and there's a little CD store down the street from us in the strip mall with, with the grocery store and powerhouse gym. And he'd go in there and he would get like these magic Mike DJ bass blast CDs. I don't know. I remember when he got doggy style by Snoop dog and my mom was like, what is this? Cause you know, it's like personified dogs fucking on the cover. Um, <laughs> and then he got, a cd that you know it was it was orange and yellow and had some writing on the cover and he would play it all the time and there was a big song that came off that cd um that would turn out to be like really in my opinion one of the now I'm going to say worse cuz it's a good song but uh one of the one of my least favorite songs from this band and the album was august and everything after was the name of the album and the band was counting crows and that cd kind of shifted my interest in music it stuck it it really subtly stuck with me it it came in there and that cd starts out um, you have like a 10 seconds of silence which is a brave thing to do on your debut album to start your album out with 10 seconds of silence and then you all of a sudden hear except it's in tune and <laughs> and you hear you hear round here by Counting Crows starts and then i just recently found out that that was the song they played on Saturday Night Live when they first got their first like TV gig And then they played on thinking like Letterman a little while after that. And that song, that might be my favorite Counting Crows song. And and that's not even a Counting Crows song. If you want to get all weird about it, but musical influences is kind of where I'm starting trying to, trying to get to with that. And music has always been this tapestry, this backdrop for moments in my life. And when I hear a song I have these visual cues that I go right back to those moments when I when I heard those or when that album got me through something. And I mean Counting Crows is no exception. Like when I see when I think of Counting Crows and I see that first album cover, the yellow orange with the writing on it, I I see it as my brother's CD. And the CD itself looked like the cover. It was the yellow and the silver writing with the black counting crows writing. And I, when I see that CD, it's my brother's copy that I see that I stole from him and, and put in my room or whatever the situation was at that time. And then I, as the albums go on, you know, there's different memories associated with each song. There's a song called butterfly in reverse that reminds me of this, like <laughs> this improv guy he used to do shows with Tim Robinson of Netflix fame, um, and he was a big Counting Crows fan. He's and he got to somehow hear the new album before anyone else. Like I don't know how or what mailing list he was on, but he's like, wait till you hear Butterfly in Reverse. It's like the best song ever. Like songwriting wise, it's lyrically, it's just the stanzas. He said it's it's one of the best songs ever, and. Years later, I still hear that sentiment from people who like know their shit in the music business, and that song stands out amongst other songs. And then there's an association I have with them with Counting Crows, um, with one of my old friends that is no longer with us, unfortunately. Um, uh, we called him Hippie, his name's Aaron Motto, and he was. He, he and me, I think would often compete for biggest counting crows fan. Um, and the award would always go for, go to him cause he, he's one of those music fans that, you know, he knows all the songs and, and everything. And then he also knows the meaning behind all the songs. And then he also knows all the band members names and like some of their history. And I was never, I was never that person when it came to music and and bands and stuff like that. So. Counting Crows was I think the first one that just stuck with me into this day. You know, I follow everything they do. I've seen them live countless times and and then other bands and CDs, albums have trickled in over the years that have just had this big influential impact on me. And that's kind of where I'm going with this too is influence, right? As a musician, y- you get influence from what you like, what you listen to. And Counting Crows played a huge role in that. Um, And then you get like, so I'm going to kind of back up a little and I have just, I'm sure you insinuated this from my terrible playing of of the round here riff, but I have my guitar with me and I'm going to play some songs for you eventually. But I wanted to kind of talk about how I got to some of these songs and and the role that this has played for me. So I finally started playing guitar when I was fifteen. I was in a punk ska band called Dun Mama Proud in high school. and I wanted to I wanted to play guitar too. I was the singer of the band, and I would just watch people play music like at band practice when we would write songs, I would go sleep on the couch twenty feet away while everyone else like wrote the music cause I didn't know what the fuck to do. And then I would come up with lyrics after the fact. And I was like, I want to play songs. And I was getting into punk music. And so I learned like power chords. So you could be like, and just, <laughs> just throw away bar chords that you can put in any order and really just make, make a punk song. And I loved it. It was great. And it gave me this outlet for songwriting that I never had. Cause I'd, I'd written songs since I was like 10 years old and it was always to try to like get a girl to like me or to make fun of something, uh, tickle, tickle your funny bone. But this now I could put a melody with it. And that started with just <laughs> like latching on to a chord progression and, then just coming up with lyrics. Uh, cause I was not anywhere near coming up with lyrics and a melody and then trying to like create it on an, on an instrument. Cause that's, that's crazy. <laughs> but I, I could come up with, you know, three or four chords, just like any punk song and then put lyrics with it. And I should have recognized this earlier, but Goldfinger, for instance, if you don't know Goldfinger, they're uh they're a, they're a ska band a little little more towards like punk ska like third wave ska situation um, but the song that I learned to play one of the one of if not the first song that I learned how to play was this acoustic secret track on their cd and it was just four chords almost screwed it up so it wasn't punk at all, but I, I loved it.
1: It isn't just me who wants to be next to your side. And I know it isn't just me
0: that wants to be here by your side. And I and so this would just go on and I, I loved it. I was like, I can play a song. Like it was the first song I could play. And I was so excited and I actually listened to that like a couple of months ago. I was like, I don't think I was playing that right. <laughs> like, I think there's a lot more to it, but that was where I went to. And it kind of foreshadowed where I would go because I'm, I'm in this punk band and we're playing, you know, fun songs and kind of like, there's some upstroke guitar ska type music, but it's like also fast punk and, but with a tongue in cheek sense of humor but, like eventually, I'm playing acoustic, emotional like love songs or songs about being fucking sad and like this this should have been a oh, this is where I'm going, and another hint of that happening was towards the end of Dun Mama Proud, the punk band, our second album we did, I had a song that I'd written it was that might have been the first song that I've ever written, and they're like yeah we can put it on i think we put it on as like a secret track because at, at one point when we were recording we we're like let's record everything we possibly can <laughs> there's like 15 songs on that album um i think yeah so i wrote i'll do just the first here
1: Summer was the best of everything. Summer will end everything. Summer was the end of you and me.
0: And that goes on for three minutes. Um, <laughs> I'd write these songs about these epic relationships that I had never had before. Uh, and they always felt like some form of of intuition or, or psychic ability because a lot of stuff that I would write would end up I would I would find out later how I could apply that to my life and be like oh did I like did I know this was happening what's and I think that's how I ended up writing songs and I thought how I still write songs is I just let the lyrics happen and through the words on paper without thinking about it I'm able to communicate how I'm feeling in a way that I previously was unable to do and that's what really like kicked off the songwriting for me so I leave the band and I'm I got I got a guitar I have like my grandma's acoustic guitar I have my buddy's sister's electric guitar that I quote-unquote borrowed for like three or four years until one day he was like, do you still have that? she wants it back. And I was like, Oh yeah. Sorry. There's a bunch of punk stickers on it, including a sticker that says, uh, I think I don't, I don't remember what it says, but it said something insinuating that I'm a lesbian. Um, and I was like, yeah, she can have it back. Uh, so <laughs> I lost that electric guitar. And then I had my buddy's dad's acoustic guitar that I really learned on the Epiphone, Shout out to Chad's dad, Rick Niney, that Epiphone. I really learned on that, which turned out to be beneficial because the action, which is how far your strings are from your guitar, was terrible. So the strings were really far from the guitar. So you had to press down hard. And I hated that. I didn't even know it was abnormal at the time because I didn't know any better. But the advantage there is it really helped me develop calluses on my fingers for playing so that kind of worked in my favor but as high school ends uh, I decide I want to make a solo album I put summer song on there as well as like a bunch of other really really dumb shit (laughs) like just stupid stupid songs that I wrote Um, one about a diner one about broccoli just literally just stupid stupid songs but then I graduate high school and I start just partying constantly I get really fucking depressed, then the good stuff starts coming out, right? Like this out of this darkness, I'm able to start really putting some lyrics together. And this is the same time that I find dashboard confessional, no coincidence, Jimmy Eat World and John Mayer, uh, the latter two of which I will end up following every fucking thing that they release for the next, you know, 25 years, 20 years, wherever we're at now, still, still following. Um, and those are just like the previous bands where I hear songs or hear an album. And I know where I heard it first and I know the moments I associate with it. And, uh, like Jimmy world bleed American, which everyone knows, you know, the middle and, uh, I heard that in its entirety over and over again at my friend, Scott Miller's house or condo apartment, whatever it was that they were renting him and his friends were renting at Western Michigan university. And I'd go out there on the weekends when I was still in high school or I would just graduated and we would just hang out in his room and listen to Jimmy world. Like, like we were fricking dating. It was, it was fantastic. It's some of my favorite little One off memories. And then John Mayer holds a very specific place because I didn't really get John Mayer at first. Some people brought over like burn CDs uh, that they gotten from Napster, which is like how John Mayer happened. And I I liked the vibe, right? Because I was listening to Dashboard Confessional and I liked this acoustic singer songwriter because it's like I'm seeing representation of what I want to do right and then Room for Squares his first like studio album comes out and I am in Florida visiting my dad and I go to I think it was like a Sam Goody and I buy the CD and my dad has this Bose alarm clock CD player in his kitchen. And so that is where I listened to John Mayer's first album over and over and over again while I was there in Florida. And in a few months after that, I ended up seeing him or probably maybe a year after that. I don't know. I don't know. I saw him at Eastern Michigan university, like right before, I feel like right before he really, really blew up and I was able to just like lean on the stage. There was no security his encore was comfortable, which he played like two and a half feet from me, um, sitting in a chair. And I was like, this, this is great. And I I loved it. And then, um, heavier things his sophomore album came out right when I had broken up with my ex girlfriend. Now, well, aren't they all exes? I'm married. Um, but Jenna was her name and it was, right on the heels of that breakup, that album came out and I would just listen to it over and over again and really connect with specific songs and, and dive into the lyrics. And these moments happen, right? And I mean, at that point I'd been writing songs so much that I put together my own actual solo album, not the, not the one with songs about diners and broccoli and stuff, but uh, an album that I I recorded with my friend Chad and, that we, we just, during the pandemic or at the tail end of it, I guess last year, we celebrated its 20 year anniversary and played it in its entirety. Me and Chad did on a, I think on a Facebook live that's recorded somewhere. Sorry, having a little drink of my coffee. I don't know if I'm going to edit this, so i apologize. Um, and that, song, that album had my first songs that I, to this day, still play. And I want to play one of them for you now. Uh, this is a song that I always felt like, and this is a reflection, I think, on me not having any confidence in myself uh, at that age or many ages to come. But I, I, I kept seeing women that I liked with guys that were douchebags and then I would see them get hurt. And then I was like, God, I can, I can be so much better for that person. And I think this was me trying to like globally tell people that. <laughs> so I'm going to play, I'm going to add in the little intro that I would normally play when I do this live. Cause this is live right now anyway. But this is a song called Promise.
1: I promise something's on my mind I'm almost out of time But I know I will survive And I promise to be there If you just kiss me softly Make me feel good inside And outside my mind Let me be good this time Because tonight Is the first night Of the better half of my life Tonight might be the last time That I get to say goodbye I promise something is not right, I'm almost out of time, I know I will survive and I promise to be there if you just kiss me softly and make me feel good inside and outside my mind. Let me be good this time because tonight is the first night of the better half of my life, tonight might be the last time.
0: there's definitely a level of uh, amateur uh, we'll put it kindly that is attached to that song how it's written the styling the chords uh, I clearly didn't think about bridges or anything like that back then it's <laughs> like i'm just happy to be able to play you know anything that's not a power chord punk song but that was that was the beginning I wrote a song called "I'm About to" that's very Counting Crows, and if you've ever seen me live cover a Counting Crows song, you know that I uh, and Erica will make fun of me for this all the time. I slip into this goes for every band, but Counting Crows especially. I slip into like impressions. You know, I I want to perform it the way that they perform it vocally too. So you know, it'll be like. Step out the front door like a ghost into the fog where no one notices contrast white on white. Like what happened to my voice there? I don't know. Uh, and it's taken me a very long time. No pun intended. That'll make sense later when you hear my most recent song um, to really get over that. Because I, I, I will do that when I write songs, too. If I write songs in the style of another artist, um, I almost instinctively and without caution to perform it in that same way. Like I use that voice and I'm about to uh, like, that's, it's the voice I use in my own song inspired by counting crows. So it's, it's very important that you don't do that. I don't recommend it. Um, you know, be your own self. And it took me a very long time to figure that out. And I was really concerned with my songwriting in general because after I recorded that album, that promise was on Chad and I both moved to California. And when I was in California, I was like, Oh, the pressure's on, you know, like one of the main reasons I'm out here is is to get this record contract that I was just convinced was owed to me. Uh, I was like, you know, how could anyone ever express themselves on the level that I do? just full of arrogance. And I was like, I don't have to try. This should just be handed to me. Right. And you know, it wasn't, (laughs) but I, I was really under the radar for songwriting and I wanted to make sure like I could do it. And I had my best friend there with me and he was an audio engineer. So he could play all these other parts for songs and, and produce them and add in instrumentation that I definitely couldn't play like organs and shit like that. And I wrote a song called complicated that we did a music video for eventually. Uh, And when I moved back to Michigan from California, I had, I had this handful of songs that I'd written out there. um, Sea of faces, complicated. And I I wanted to release another album. I was like, I liked, I like recording music and giving it to people and really like, hoping for that approval or hoping for someone to be like this, this is it. And given me a record contract again, arrogance. And so I I recorded my second album, which was called living room sessions. Um, Right after me and Erica had moved in together, we'd started dating and I just recorded, even though it was called living room sessions in our bedroom closet, we had a walk in closet and that clothes work really well for, muting sound. And that's when, uh, these next two songs I want to play for you really made their debut. And the first one I'll explain it, even though the lyrics are very self-explanatory. This song is called West Virginia and it's something I wrote about being in West Virginia. (laughs) That's, it's really as, as obvious as it gets. When I was 19, I wanted to take a road trip and my car was a piece of crap. And my mom, um, desperate to spend time with her, you know, annoying teenage son, uh, said, well, we can use my car and I'll go with you. And so I made a list of rules. I think those are written down somewhere still. I was like, okay, but I'm going to drive and we can't listen to anything you want to listen to. It's only what I want to like. I had all these rules and she miraculously agreed to all of them and we were off and we get to West Virginia. And this is, I just, my literal goal at that point, I just wanted to drive through the Appalachian Mountains. I don't know, fucking vision quest. I don't know why. And we get to West Virginia and all of a sudden traffic is backed up, like on this county road in the middle of nowhere, up in the mountains. And we get out of the car and we find out that all these cars are stopped because up ahead there's like two mountain people that are, like, in a shotgun standoff, like a get-off-my-land situation. We're like, what? So we turn around, and we start going back down this mountain and pull over at a rest stop. And I don't recommend doing this. It seems very unsafe looking back. But there's a little trail off the rest stop, and I was like, I'm going to follow this trail. And it led me to the essentially, like, a lookout point. And it was not like a it's not a park authorized trail. This is clearly like some teens smoking weed or doing meth or something have made this trail. And there was this big mountain that you could look out on. And, and there was a cave that kind of went underneath a little bit. And underneath there was all this graffiti and spray paint. And I just stood on the top of that mountain on the cliff. And I just looked out over the, over the Appalachians the Appalachians and it was just, it was a moment for me. It was a perspective and calmness and peace. And when I looked back on that moment one day, I wrote the lyrics for West Virginia and then it became the most requested song at all my shows, which I, I loved cause it's really fun to play. And, uh, it goes like this. Thank you.
1: That mountain top where I sing Long Way Home. Take me back, oh take me back, oh take me back. It's the only place that I want to go. Underneath this mountain there's a cave with all these writings on the wall. Talk of love that lasts forever. Winter, spring, summer and fall, it only happens in West Virginia. Take me back to West Virginia Upon my mountain top where I sang long way home. Oh, no. Take me back, oh take me back, oh take me back. It's the only place that I want to go. Oh, so. Hard. And you don't know what to do Put your heart in West Virginia And let that love come through Lonely in West Virginia huh? I never lived in West Virginia I never rented there, Lord knows I never owned Though I do not hold a house there It's the only place that I can call home I'm going back to West Virginia take Me back to West Virginia Upon that top where I sang Long Way Home oh, Take me back, oh take me back, oh take me back the only place that I really, 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 really want to go Back to West Virginia I'm going back to West Virginia I'm going back to West Virginia I'm going back to West Virginia
0: what you don't know because I edited was that was the third time I played that song. Cause I kept fucking it up. It's so funny. You write this stuff and I know this is nowhere near the level that, you know, you see these people in stadiums and stuff, but it's so easy to forget the lyrics to your own song. Cause you have this catalog of songs, and they have these songs that you'd never play. And like this song could mean a much, like so much to somebody, but, you you heard it more recently than I did. And then you got of remember the lyrics. And it's so funny. I always laugh when people are, you know, at concerts and they're like, oh, play, play this random fucking B side from 20 years ago. I'm like, bro, they don't remember how to play that. You got to look that shit up. It's so funny. It just goes away. But that was, that was on living room sessions. And I wrote it while I was in California and reflecting back on that time I spent in West Virginia. And a little part of that story I left out that I didn't even remember until I was singing the song is I had my guitar with me. And when I stood on the that cliff, I played my own song, Long Way Home, which I talk about in that song. It's like I said, the lyrics are very self-explanatory. But when I moved back to Michigan, um, I had kind of stopped talking to my dad at this point. Um, alcoholism was, was doing him in uh, and... It was getting to the point where, like, we were repeating conversations because he would forget the conversations that we had because, like, he eventually got, you know, alcohol-induced dementia. And it was very sad. But, like, I was, you know, full of anger and not ready to deal with that. So I just fucking ignored, 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 ignored. Um, But as... Uh, as family does no one respected that boundary and so I would find out things about him you know through my mom or through my brother and um, I found out that he was really depressed and suicidal at one point and all of a sudden I was like able to relate to him in this very unique way because I was like oh I've been there like I know that struggle and that's when I I wrote this next song called my father's song. And I think I sent it to him, but I don't think he ever actually heard it.
1: don't see my father much I'm afraid that he don't see himself These days it takes more than a doctor To know you're doing well In a way I haven't seen a man Since I was only four And his head hangs a little bit lower now So I've been told So where did you go? Where? Yes.
0: was one of the first songs i wrote that really they it hit home for me if that makes any sense like like if i was listening to it i was like oh man i feel that song and i know that sounds silly because i wrote it but uh again circling back to what i was saying like i was able to put lyrics on paper that said things that i wasn't even aware i could put into words when it came to how I felt about things and it wouldn't be until after the fact when I was just singing it one day I'd be like, oh, that's how I feel <laughs> like I like like it just right over my head and this one like even playing it right now I, I still uh, it's it's still it's hard. My dad died in 2015 uh, in September 2015 almost almost exactly eight years ago, um, from alcoholism. So it rings true. It rings true. And it was, uh, that song also meant a lot because of that, that moment. And that was, I think I played that song and I played West Virginia because those were like kind of turning points in my songwriting and also reflective of me kind of, I feel like branching out on my own as far as my style and what I was trying to say instead of mimicking and and copying my influences. And that led me to really kind of dialing in to my voice and what I was trying to say with music and the expression of, of feeling that really attracted me to so many songs. I wanted to give that to other people because I mean, sure. The dream at one point was selling out stadiums. Absolutely. Why not? Sure. Rock it up, but really I think the, the goal. And I think a lot, I, I imagine a lot of people that play music and write songs have this goal, but if you can, get one person to experience that song the way that you have experienced some of the more important songs in your life. I mean, what more, what more could you ask for? That's pretty, I mean, I've had songs drag me out of depression. I've had songs carry me through relationships and breakups and what more could you ask for than, than be the provider of that? And I think that's where I was like, I, if I'm going to do that, I have to create music that literally comes from me and, and my heart and my emotions and my feelings and continue to write lyrics that I don't understand until after I, I really get the song together. I'm like, Oh, that's what I was saying. <laughs> and uh, and this next song is not, is, is no exception to that, but this next song, I really showed me how far I had come as a, as a songwriter, as a, as a guitar player. And it's nothing like spectacular as far as the guitar or anything. Um, but when I wrote it, the first time I played it for someone, I, I, remember this very well because that's like we've we've established so far that's how my memory works um my buddy chris Haig, uh former podcast guest aaron bridgewater um, when they were both living in a house in clarkston um oh my god this was after that house it's chris Haig's next house also in clarkston we were all jamming in the basement over there we'd been doing it somewhat regularly and I was like hey guys I got a new song can I play it for you with zero confidence because that's how I roll and they listened and everyone I think I think maybe Chris specifically but I think everybody said something and pointed out just like how crisp it was like it was very put together it was it was held together very nicely. The timing was perfect. The stops, the starts, like everything was very polished and I'd written it like that day or the day before. So I was like, Oh, um, and that's why I attached myself to it. So this song made it onto my full band studio album. That was kickstarted in 2013. And this song is called Running. it's as polished <laughs> as it used to be. Uh, I have not played that song in a long time and I, I haven't really played guitar a lot lately. I kind of changed my relationship with, with the guitar and, and playing music, especially for people. Um, I kind of had my realization of valuing myself and reasons why I'm doing things and realized that I wasn't often playing for myself, I was playing because people expected me to, or I was playing to get that validation from someone. Tell me I'm good enough. Tell me I did good job. Tell me I'm, tell me I'm worthy. And I decided I would just pick up the guitar when I actually like felt like playing. And I would only play for other people if I was really just playing for myself. And, you know, they happened to be there. (laughs) And so I don't, I, I don't pick it up a lot. Um, but it's still, it's still so important to me, which is why I'm doing this, this whole episode. So that was 2013 that the studio album came out and that song. And I, I really, the album did not do what I wanted it to do. Um, and that was really hard. And I don't think I bounced back fully from that. I don't know what I really expected realistically, like looking back, but you know, there's a reason that I have literally boxes of these CDs. Um, I don't think I ever have turned a profit (laughs) on digital music downloads. Uh, and I was really proud of myself for doing the Kickstarter and raising, you know, thousands of dollars to get in the studio and record record this album with this full band. Um, and I think part of me felt accountable to those people that donated and you know, they all got like their CDs and like whatever else, whatever other awards came with donation tiers, but I, I really wanted it to do more than it did. And I, but I wasn't willing to speak up. There were things I didn't like. Um, I loved being in the studio. It was such a great experience, but I, I mean, there's definitely things I would do differently now. And so going forward I really just I was writing songs for me. Um I'd release stuff occasionally uh on videos and little MP3s, but really it's just for me. And it wasn't until during the pandemic. I mean, what do you what else are you gonna do if you are songwriter and you're stuck inside? You're gonna you're gonna end up writing some shit. And I I wrote some I wrote some shit. I, I wrote some horror movie inspired songs. I was gonna I can't I I always come up with these concept albums that I don't actually do or finish. But I wrote like a song about Friday 13th, The Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream. Um and then in one of those songs, I think it was the Scream song, but one of those songs I realized like I can chill out on my vocals. And that's one thing you might have noticed, especially if you're a singer I push man. When I sing, I push and I, I, you don't need to do that. <laughs> you know, I thought you did. I thought if you had a voice, you should go fucking full hog on everything you do. Um, but a, that means when you actually do something like really crazy and belt something out, it's not as impressive because you do that constantly and you can also burn yourself out that way. And then you also don't have any, you know, melodic buildup. There's a lot of problems with that. So I started writing songs with kind of a different voice and a different key where I was able, I, you know, use the throat register, take myself out of my sinuses when I'm singing. And I, I had to do that too, because like my, it's not an excuse, but I have an autoimmune disease and the inflammation in my sinuses and my, I also have like a deviated septum and a lot of my stuff just sounds nasally now. And I had to kind of adapt, um, to fit what my voice was naturally doing. And this last song that I'm going to play for you guys is kind of where I found myself vocally and then lyrically, it was another song that I, I got down and I was like, oh, this is how I feel. And it really, it it felt good. And you'll you'll get that when you hear the lyrics. But without further ado, it's the last song I'm going to play for you. Um, and then I'll tell you where I'm at currently in my musical influences and whatnot before we say goodbye. So this last song is called I don't know what it's called. I guess it's called It's Been a Long Time. It's fitting. So here you go.
1: been a long time since I've been blinded by the past and left alone behind it's been a long time it's been too many days since I could say I'm okay well anyway I think I'm alright it's been a long time but I finally feel And I finally feel alive And there's something new inside I think it's been a long time It's been a few years since I was drowned in tears and beers and full of lies It's been a long time been a big deal to feel these things I was sure were dead to me inside it's been a long time and I finally feel alive and I finally
0: So that's, uh, I wrote, I mean, I wrote that last year and I've done a couple things here and there, uh, that definitely have brand new inspirations and been fucking around on the piano a lot. Um, especially in this last, last couple of years, last few years, I did a Christmas album entirely on the piano that will never see the light of day, but, uh, really fell in love with the piano again. So I've been messing around with that and really enjoying songwriting, um, Cause it's just kind of mine, you know, I mean now a little bit, a little bit of it's yours, but this, this isn't just an album. You know, if you're listening to this, (laughs) thanks. Um, but this is, this is, this is the epitome of personal journal, right? It's wild. Um, some of those influences, some of the musical tastes that I, I have shifted into, as of late um, a lot of female led like indie pop. And that started with Renee Rapp, who I definitely have written songs in the style of, and somehow she sings in my key, but not really. Like I'm able to sing her songs without changing the the key that she sings in, which is interesting. Um, and then thank you, Apple music, I guess, cause you know, I'd create these little like stations based on one artist. And these were Renee rap stations. I ended up finding these other three women that I am obsessed with. Um, first Julia Michaels, who, if you don't know her, you do. Um, she's a very famous songwriter has won countless, countless awards for songs that she's written for some of the most famous pop artists out there whether it be like selena gomez or justin bieber or britney spears um there it's a very long list and then she released her own stuff and it's so fucking good and i know every one of her songs and i've listened to all four of her albums so there's like some weird alt versions that i don't know if i've heard but over and over and over again. Love, love, love. Um, and then some newer women on the scene. Um, Abby Holiday, who I was fortunate enough to see uh open for Michigander at St. Andrew's Hall early this summer, and I'm seeing now headline in Detroit in a couple of weeks, Abby holiday. She's very unique. Um and eggshells was the song that i heard from her that was like i want to hear more about this um look that up if you have a minute abby holiday eggshells amazing amazing song and then the rest of her music is great and her lyrics oh they're so good like people that can tap into traumatic experiences and just turn them into musical poetry good for them love it and then um, finally, Grace Enger, E N G E R. I get to see her open for someone named Maisie Peters in a few weeks as well. And she only she just released her fourth song, but I'll be damned if I don't love every single one of them and listen to them on repeat. Um, very, very just kind of perfect songwriter vibes. Absolutely. Like I really, really love it. Um, highly recommend that as well, but that's, what's going on with me musically. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for listening to this. If you're listening still, I appreciate it. If you listen to this at more than one X speed, I'm really curious to know what that sounds like, but I'll keep writing them. You keep listening to them. And, uh, That's been a peek inside my head. Here's a song that I did not write. I guess I wrote the lyrics to it. But um, the music and singing were both written and performed by Talia Dalton. Talia, you need to come out with more music. I'll say that right now. Okay, bye-bye. You and I have lots in
1: common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend?